The Truth News Network. Prices out of control, threatening an end of fossil fuels, orphaning 400 million cars, millions of trucks, airplanes. Are we having fun yet? Every tick of the clock promising more misery as we bankrupt the middle class. Life as written by Harlan Ellison. Shake your head, take a deep breath, because you're with TNN, the Truth News Network. And with some light, here's Dan Newman. I guess the most important thing right now on this Friday is, who the heck was Harlan Ellison? (laughs) Well, good morning, everybody. Looks like it's going to be one of those kind of days here at TNN. There are so many things happening in our world. It's like, it's, it's almost like there's a storm Everywhere we look, there's something big over here. There's something bigger over there. And they just dominate the news. Let me ask you a question here at the top of the show. Do you ever get the sense that some of the things that are being marched out by the media, I'm talking about the legacy media, the ones that know it all and are important and they're better than everybody else, the stuff that they march out, do you ever get the sense that what they're doing is a purposeful deflection away from some other things they don't want us to know about. If you look back in your rearview mirror over the last 25 years, look at the two different types of media we have. We have conservative media, and we have the legacy media or mainstream media. When we break down the structure of all of those that comprise either side of the journalism spectrum, leftists and conservatives, is it strange to you to know that in true media, now I'm I'm not talking about ABC, CBS, NBC networks. They're just not news. They have an entertainment segment. And of course, on the entertainment side, they make a lot of money. I don't know what ABC, CBS, and NBC News does financially, but what I do know is they are far left in their coverage of news items, just as are CNN, MSNBC, and some of the other smaller networks. Which group in that that I just mentioned, which are successful Well, it depends on what you measure success as being, Dan. That's correct. But when you're in big business and you're owned by a major big-time corporation, there's only one thing that matters. How much money do you make? At the end of the day, when all of the expenses are added up and deducted from all of the revenue that came in, who's still got a plus in the dollar column? For the last 25 years, there's never been a successful, real profitable legacy media network. Not one. How many um, Sean Hannity's and Rush Limbaugh's, how many of those have you seen in your rearview mirror on the other side? In other words, opposite of Hannity, opposite of Tucker, opposite of Jesse Waters, How many of those shows are still around? None. There have been dozens that have been attempted with lots of money spent in investing and propping them up. They just don't make it economically. Now, what does that mean? Let me just tell you this. 
When you start a business, I'd say 99 and 9 tenths of the time when businesses were created in the United States, all the way back to the beginning, 99 and 9 tenths percent, the purpose for starting those companies and building and growing and keeping those countries uh, companies doing what they do is to make money. That's a measure of success. And in that business, in the communications business, in the journalism business, the way you make money is getting more people to accept your messaging and the messages that you put out there. That means they stay. That means they watch, they listen, they read. And that means viewership. It means ears listening. And that interprets into advertising dollars. That's how they all make or lose money. CNN, MSNBC, they're nothing but a big gar hole for their owners. They lose millions of dollars every year. Why is that? The people they're targeting aren't significant enough to prop up in viewership numbers, in readership numbers, in listening numbers, to attract advertisers to come spend money. But who is knocking a home run every day? Newsmax. Of course, Fox News. Some of the other conservative networks. They're all making money or they go out of money. No different from the legacy media. So then why in that context, why do most of those big city, big time newspapers and those big broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, why hasn't a single one ever tried to do a 180 and become a conservative news outlet and start attracting big name people that are successful because they're substantive? They bring great messages that people can relate with to their news reporting. That part, I cannot tell you. I cannot imagine living in a world in in corporate business, and I've been in corporate business my entire life. I've never been anywhere where anybody was okay with losing money just to put a message out there for political purposes. I'm, I'm I'm a political guy. I believe in it. It's what we do here at Truth News Network. But nevertheless... I'm not going to go out there and build the platform based upon one political perspective that when I roll it out and I find out people don't like it, I just keep trucking because that's what I want to put out there. I don't have that kind of money, never have had, and therefore I'm not going to waste my time, effort, and energy. I just don't get it. I do not understand why the far left do it. Same thing in in, in the political world right now. Why can't people just step back from their ideologies? I'm talking about conservatives and leftists. Just step back for a minute. Be objective and look at what you're doing, what you're presenting and who you're presenting it to and who's digesting it when you put it out there. And be objective about making decisions about what you're going to do. The problem with that is It's very seldom that you see anybody that's a hardcore leftist that has one shred of objectivity in them, especially journalists. And I SMH every day when I hear some of the crud that they're putting out there. 
We've got one example of that this morning. You know who Stacey Abrams is. She is the African-American woman that ran for governor in Georgia a few years ago against the current governor, Brian Kemp. She is a black activist. She believes strongly in voter suppression that it's happening, and it's not. But she preaches and preaches and preaches. She's got, she's got an outlet on MSNBC. And Nicole Wallace yesterday just gave her the opportunity to hit a home run and be reasonable. When she ran against Brian Kemp for governor, she lost, and she's never conceded that he beat her in that election. Never since. Not only that, she spends all her time on the other side talking about she was cheated. Black people in Georgia are cheated. Their votes are being suppressed. And of course, she doesn't like the numbers that are out there. Uh, Let me give you the numbers. She's been preaching, and I'm going to let you hear her in just a second. But she's been preaching and preaching and preaching. Black people didn't get to vote. Tens of thousands of people couldn't get to the polls. Well, here comes the exact numbers for just the primaries because Brian Kemp, the governor, he put out legislation, the state Senate, state house, passed some voter irregularity laws to straighten it up to make sure everybody had an easier time to vote. Stacey Abrams doesn't believe that. She's still preaching. You'll hear in a minute, voter suppression. Here's the fact. Short lines, smooth, easy ballot access, and confidence in ballot security brought out more than 850,000 to cast a ballot in person or return an absentee ballot. This is in Georgia's primary this year. Compared early voting turnout in recent primaries, the 850,000, that this is after the voter suppression, the law that the Congress, not the Congress, but the legislature in Georgia passed to fix all the problems in Georgia's voting system, 850,000. How does that number stand compared to previous? That's a 168% increase over 2018. That was when she ran for governor against Brian Kemp. And that number, 850,000, is a 212% jump over 2020. Of course, that was the last presidential primary year. The record early voting tone, or turnout in Georgia is a testament to the security of the voting system and the hard work of our county election officials. That's Georgia's Secretary of State that just got blasted with all of the craziness going on in the aftermath of the 2020 presidential election. He said the incredible turnout we have sees demonstrates once and for all that Georgia's Election Integrity Act struck a good balance between the guardrails of access and security. I won't even give you the exact numbers. But it's incredible. Almost double the people voted in the primary. So if there was voter suppression in that law that she is fighting against, how, oh how, could so much more Voters, how could they vote if their votes were being suppressed? I just don't get it. MSNBC, yesterday, here's Stacey Abrams. 
we're sitting here 30 days out from a midterm election where our basic reproductive freedoms and political freedoms are on the line, where families like mine that depend on marriage equality aren't going to fit in the MAGA view of America. I'm looking forward through the windshield at, at, at holding this majority, and that is the larger moral imperative, so that the people who would have set aside the election, 139 of them were already in Congress on January 6th, and they voted to set aside the election. 75% of the Republican caucus right now supports a nationwide ban on reproductive freedom, abortion. That's the moral imperative to keep those people out of power. That was the head of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, Sean Patrick Maloney, on the stakes for our country and that Democrats face with this year's midterm election, elections just over one month away. Our next guest has dedicated her life to fighting voter suppression and getting more people out to the polls. Joining us now, Stacey Abrams, of course, the Democratic candidate for governor in Georgia and the founder of the voting initiative Fair Fight. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I have to first get your personal reaction. I, I'm sure for you, it is not surprising um, for us. We're all kind of picking our jaws up off the table. But Herschel Walker's um, scandal, not just of his conduct and lying about it, but of being someone whose hypocrisy has now been laid bare before the Georgia electorate, that he would allegedly, based on reportings in the Daily Beast, um, talk to a woman he's in a relationship with, pay for an abortion for her, send her a get well card, but advocate a national ban. In Georgia, hypocrisy is contagious. Brian Kemp has said that it's not his place to be involved in the personal lives of others, yet he has passed and signed into law proudly the most draconian abortion ban in Georgia's history that denies women the right to choose after six weeks. But he has nothing to say about his running mate, who is more than willing to, or at least according to reports, has done exactly what he has prohibited women from being able to choose to do to protect their lives and to protect their families. The hypocrisy between Brian Kemp and Herschel Walker is not only unconscionable, it is a very strong sign of the kind of leadership that Walker would provide if he were elected and that Kemp has failed to provide to the state of Georgia. It is a rule for himself and different rules for the rest of Georgia. And how is that playing? I mean, are you hearing, is the Herschel Walker scandal and the refusal of any Republicans to withdraw their support for his candidacy, is that hurting Republicans? We don't know yet, but we are going to absolutely make the case because the reality is their hypocrisy is not limited to the hypocrisy of abortion, although it is draconian and unconscionable. Because under the law in Georgia, a woman can be investigated for a miscarriage. Under the law in Georgia, right now, women are being told that they cannot have access to basic medical care because the doctors and nurses are afraid that they will be subject to 10 years in prison. But we also know that the very party that has said that women cannot make their own choices, they're being absolutely silent. In fact, they're rallying around someone who has done exactly what they've denied the right to other women to do, to women to do. And what's more disturbing to me is that Brian Kemp likes to hold himself out as a moralist, but he is someone who is an opportunist. He refuses to stand on his convictions, and instead he uses his political power to strip women of their freedoms, to attack the LGBTQ community, to engage in voter suppression. If you are not like him, he is not for you. 
Stacey, Liz Cheney um, is fresh to the fight, if, if that's a good word to use, um, to protect and preserve democracy after voting for Donald Trump in 2020. Um, she saw enough after January 6th. She was in Arizona making the case that you cannot vote for Republicans if you care about democracy. Would that be helpful in your state? It would be. Unfortunately, and, and you've actually been incredibly thoughtful about this, but writ large, Brian Kemp has been lionized for simply not committing treason. We have yet to see anyone investigate what does it mean to just be lionized for the basics of doing your job. For 246 years, every other governor managed to not commit treason. Every secretary of state managed to not commit treason. But what he has done is be the architect of a voter suppression law that is already harming Georgians this year. 64,000 people have had their right to vote challenged, including groups, white supremacist groups who have used the Brian Kemp law to challenge the right to vote for black and brown voters across the state of Georgia. And once again, Brian Kemp's hypocrisy keeps him silent. He signed this law, proud of it, claiming that he did so because it was necessary when he admitted during his primary that he only did it because he was frustrated by the results of the election. He is a voter suppressor architect, and he has continued to attack the right to vote in the state of Georgia. He attacks our freedoms, our freedom to vote, our freedom to control our bodies, our freedom to be who we are. And he is willing to do that to win an election. And hopefully, Folks like Liz Cheney and others will go beyond just the fact the people who were willing to stand up and say it and look at the people who silently let it happen and have suborned the very same behavior. They just haven't sought the spotlight for it. Stacey, how has I mean, it, it, it's interesting, the voter suppression law passed in Georgia was the first one, I believe, that emanated from the big yes. lie. I think Georgia was the first place that it was passed and signed into law. It was so radioactive at the time that Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game out of your state. Um, yes. But then everyone fell silent. And now I think dozens of other states have passed voter suppression laws predicated on the lie about election fraud. That lie has infected the Republican Party, hundreds of Republicans running as election deniers. What can be done, in your view, to to dispel or de-radicalize or bring back to the truth or the facts all the Republicans who still believe in the big lie? We have to recognize that there are two facets to this challenge. There's voter access and voter outcome. Voter access is who gets an opportunity to be heard. And then election outcome, let me correct myself, it's voter access and election outcome. Election outcome is the source of the big lie. The outcome of the election was not what they wanted, and therefore they've lied about everything that preceded it. But they were, they were suborned and aided by those who denied access. And that is where we have not put our attention. To your point about the silence, we have been so myopically focused on the election deniers, we've ignored the election suppressors. Mm -hmm. Those who stop us from being hurt are just as egregious as those who, try, those who try to manipulate the outcome. And in a democracy, it is not simply about the outcome, it's who gets to participate in the process. The work that I've done for the last four years, the last 15 years, for most of my adult life, life has been focused on access. No politician is entitled to victory, but every Georgia, every Georgia citizen, every American citizen is entitled to access if they are eligible. And to the extent the Republican Party has been able to lionize and lift up those who will not only engage in voter suppression, but celebrate it, and at the same time only chastise those who lie about the outcome, we are only paying attention to one side of the equation. But if we don't solve both sides, democracy falls.
Can you solve, can you push back against the suppression bills as a single party? I mean, how do you make it a bipartisan effort to say, listen, if you guys are so confident that you're on the right side of history, why don't you help me expand access to the right to vote? Unfortunately, because right now this is all about winning. And we know that yeah. Brian Kemp, there was a 288-page order that came down from a federal court. The last three uh, claims that we'd made during our fair fight action, we did not win those claims. But if you read the 288-page order, repeatedly, repeatedly the federal judge said that Brian Kemp operated a racist, discriminatory system that disproportionately harmed access to the right to vote. But what he also pointed out was that the Bronovich decision, which came recently in the 2020-2021 term of the Supreme Court, permitted that type of behavior. As they continue to erode the Voting Rights Act, if we only focus on the lie that Donald Trump tries to tell, but we ignore the very architecture that made his lie plausible, then we are suborning this behavior. And what I can do, not only as a candidate for governor, but as an American citizen, is refuse to be silent about this. There are those who would love for me to stop talking. They create this false equivalence because they're hopeful that we won't pay attention. Brian Kemp held the helped 50,000 black and brown people from being able to vote. 90 percent of them were black and brown people in 2018. He made it illegal for people to get water in line. He outsourced voter suppression to white supremacists through this upcoming bill, through the SB 202. And there has been no voice loud enough about it because everyone has been focused on the 2020 election. But we've got to be worried about 22 and what that means for 24. I'm running for governor because if I win, when I win, I can do the work of making sure that every Georgian, regardless of party, believes in their power to be a part of our electorate. I want us to fight for each other. I want us to have a governor who cares, who's willing to help and who protects our freedom. And instead, we have a governor who's proven he doesn't care, who has refused to help and who has attacked our freedom at every single turn. This is an opportunity for a referendum in this nation about who we want to be and who we intend to serve. And my mission is to make certain that Georgians understand there's only one candidate who looks forward to serving them. Now, that is her story, Stacey Abrams. She lost to Brian Kemp in a gubernatorial election in 2018. She, you just heard her from her own mouth over and over and over and over again. Brian Kemp, Brian Kemp. Bad guy, evil guy, suppress vote, black and brown. Don't let people vote. He kept 80-something thousand primarily brown and black Georgians from voting. None of the facts show what she's claiming there are actually facts. The numbers that I gave you. Just in the primaries, this year's primaries, 850,000, more than 850,000 Georgians cast ballots in the primary. That's almost double the number of Georgians that voted in the primaries in 2018. And most of the increase was among African Americans. But that doesn't fit the narrative. You remember at the top of the show, I was talking about the difference between media today and how I can never reconcile that far-left media outlets, big corporations that start them or buy them or operate them, every one of them lose money. I mean millions, millions of dollars. AT&T owns CNN. Uh, They just sold it recently. AT&T is a monster 
of a corporation. They can afford because of their politics and they wanted to go out and be able to say, we've got a television network, a news network. Well, they have stockholders. (laughs) Many of you have in your portfolio, your retirement portfolio, when you invest in a IRA or a 401k, some of that goes to corporate stocks. You may be today an AT&T stockholder. Wouldn't you rather that your portfolio and those that are all part of it, they would go out and make money for you rather than throw it at a political perspective knowing they're going to lose your money and theirs. And then here she is again. And this is MSNBC now. Nicole Wallace, you just heard. Totally feckless, oblivious. All she did was just throw softballs at Stacey Abrams. That's how they operate. Now, let me let me just say this. The only way any person can reconcile and make that process okay, what you just heard, the back and forth between Nicole Wallace, white girl, and Stacey Abrams, African-American, is the white girl has to set up the African-American woman to make her look like what she's alleging against a political opponent is automatically true, just simply because Stacey Abrams is black and Brian Kemp, the governor she's running against in Georgia, is white. So therefore, she gets the bully pulpit and Nicole Wallace didn't check her or anything she alleged. The numbers that I just gave you, this is yesterday Nicole Wallace did it. I've had these numbers pulled since the day after the Georgia primaries just to get the numbers for myself. MSNBC didn't even bother to look. I mean, if they were a reputable journalistic network, Nicole Wallace would have said, well, wait a minute, Stacy. Almost twice as many Georgians voted in this primary than did in 2020's primary. How could there be voter suppression? And most of those, the biggest increase in that number, 850,000, were African-American Georgians. And then make Stacey Abrams give evidence to back up what she's talking about and alleging. And oh, by the way, that big thing that Nicole Wallace was talking about when Major League Baseball, they moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta, it just so happens the stadium where the Atlanta Braves play, where that All-Star game was supposed to take place, it's in an African-American section of Atlanta. Most of the vendors around that area, restaurants, hotels, have either total or partial African-American ownership. Nobody knows for sure how much money that cost Georgia the state, Atlanta the city, and all of those vendors, tens of millions of dollars. You know why that happened? Because Stacey Abrams started playing the race card and demonizing every white person that didn't just toe the line with her that What was happening in Georgia was racism. You heard her use the white supremacist term. Let me just say this. In the South, Southerners, and I happen to be one, we understand and know the facts. Racism was and is real. But it is nothing like it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I grew up in it. I'm 69 years old. 
I grew up in the South. I'm from the South. I understand it. But the evil in that whole process you just heard exhibited in what Stacey Abrams was saying to Nicole Wallace, and that is separate, divide, demonize somebody with whom you disagree, and don't give anybody a chance to counter the allegations you're making. And that is going to sit in the minds of people that are watching and listening, and they're going to draw their conclusions from that. A good anchor in that interview would have questioned her on all of those things she said were absolute facts. And of course, you you heard how that started. They demonized. She had to. Nicole Wallace, she called Herschel Walker a liar. She didn't know if he's lying. They don't use the word alleged or allegations. If they think it and want to say it, well, (laughs) uh, you know, we're MSNBC. If we think it's wrong or if we think it's right, that's the way it is. Wow, what a way to start our Friday show. I want to thank you for being here today. Thanks for being here every day. Got a lot of things we need to get into. And one of the biggest is the Hunter Biden situation. And it seems like every couple hours there's more news, new news out there about it. We're going to wade into the middle of it. And it's not as you heard. And we're going to analyze why this is happening right now. Hmm. Think about that. We'll do that after the break. Just a moment at TNN Live. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gompertz from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. <gasps> We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. 
When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. Let's wade right into the Hunter Biden stuff going on. Now, there are so many parts to this Hunter Biden slash Joe Biden slash big guy story that's been, it's been around for years now and nothing's been done with it. And we've seen all kind of criminal activity and everybody's got their own opinion. Facts are coming out now and it's interesting. It's not supposed to happen that in a run up to an election, either a presidential election or a midterm election, 30, 45 days before the election, you don't do any arrest. You don't go after any of the political pundits that are involved in these elections. You wait till it's all over. Put that in the context of who broke this Hunter Biden thing yesterday. We started the show talking about leftist media outlets compared to conservative media outlets. The Washington Post probably the furthest left credible, if they have credibility, rag in the United States. Here's what they said, the Washington Post. Federal agents investigating Hunter Biden for tax and gun crimes believe they have enough evidence to charge him. Now, they started the story and said that. Credible news agencies don't say that. They go find and ask questions to find out what the evidence is that they supposedly have enough to charge him with crimes. WAPU didn't do that. I'll get more into the reasoning, in my opinion, why in just a little bit. Everybody knows he's been under Hunter investigation in Delaware, the federal district there. I mean, now for four or five years and over allegedly failing to pay income taxes, lying on that federal firearm application when you go buy a gun. U.S. Attorney David Weiss, a holdover from the Trump administration, he's the one investigating Hunter in Delaware, and he would be the person who decides whether or not to bring charges. That's according to the Washington Post, and it's a lie. There is no federal attorney prosecutor out there that is going to make the arbitrary singular decision to prosecute the son of a sitting president other than the Attorney General of the United States. And of course, they went on to paint the picture of what's going on. Quote, it's a federal felony for a federal agent to leak information about a grand jury investigation such as this one That's what Hunter's attorney said in a statement when this news came out because it supposedly was leaked by an FBI agent. Any agent you cite as a source in your article, he's talking about the Washington Post, apparently has committed such a felony. We expect the DOJ will diligently investigate and prosecute such bad actors. So what are these charges that are being considered? Now think about that in the context of everything we know about Hunter, the big guy. Tony Bobolinsky, two different times on one of the leading rated conservative talk shows, one three years ago, the same show earlier this week, he went into massive 
I mean all kinds of evidence of the continual wrongdoing by the Biden family syndicate. That's what we call it here at Truth News Network. And he didn't even talk about what was going on in Delaware. Get to that in just a minute. The gun charges against Hunter, that came from an application that he submitted to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms back in 2018. That's when he went to buy a gun legally. You have to fill it out, and they send it in, whoever you're buying it from, a FFL, Federal Firearm Licensed Seller, and they send it in, and the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, they have to do a quick background check and find out if you're okay to own a gun. Biden claimed on that app that he was not, quote, an unlawful user of or addicted to marijuana or any depressant, stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance. But he later suggested in his memoir that he was using crack cocaine during the time period in question, writing that he was smoking crack every 15 minutes. Okay, so that's lying on the firearms application. And then there's the tax thing. The IRS has put a $112,000 lien on Biden back in 2015. That was at the same time he was serving on the board of the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Rosemont Seneca Bohai, a firm controlled by Biden's business partner, paid him more, Hunter, than $700,000 between June of 2014 and October of 2015. Burisma received funds from RSB at the same time as it paid Biden. Hunter paid a significant amount in back taxes shortly after the 2020 election. That's according to the New York Times. In revealing that he was under investigation, Biden claimed he was confident that a professional and objective review of these matters will demonstrate that he handled his affairs legally and appropriately. And then there's one more thing that they could go after him for. He could face charges related to the FARA Act, Foreign Agents Registration Act. What is that? Well, if you're going to do business with a country overseas, you're supposed to file with the uh, Department of State and let them know who you're talking to and what the business is about. It's a law. You have to do it. Agents of Foreign Principles is what it's called. To make periodic public disclosure of what your relationship is with a foreign country or a leader in another country. Hunter and business partner Tony Bobolinsky texted about setting up a shell corporation that they thought could help them avoid doing that, registering under the FARA Act. Biden conducted business with a huge energy company in China, CEFC, and he did it through the company Hudson West 3 in 2017 and 2018. So where's Uncle Joe in this, or Daddy Joe? He and his team have repeatedly denied that the president was involved in any way with Hunter Biden's business activity. Bobolinsky, however, produced documentation saying Hunter held 10% of the corporations they were making. He was holding them for the big guy who is Joe Biden. Now, what about what could this cost? And I'm going to get to my opinion of why they're doing this now in a minute. 
Well, the punishment for lying on that BATF Form 4473, it's up to 10 years in jail and or up to a quarter of a million dollar fine. That's what Mr. Biden the Younger Hunter could potentially be facing just for that. The first paragraph of that form says, warning, big letters, warning. The information you provide will be used to determine whether you are prohibited by federal or state law from receiving a firearm. Certain violations of the Gun Control Act, 18 U.S.C. 921, are punishable by up to 10 years in jail and up to a $250,000 fine or both. And the form, it has questions like this. Are you the actual transferee slash buyer of the firearms listed on this form and any continuation sheet? Warning, you are not the actual transferee buyer if you are acquiring the firearm on behalf of another person. If you're not the actual transferee or buyer, the licensee cannot transfer the firearm to you. And then there's another question on the form. Are you under indictment or information in any court for a felony or any other crime for which the judge could imprison you for more than one year? Or are you a current member of the military who has been charged with violations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice and whose charges have been referred to a general court-martial? And then question 21C, that's the big one here. Are you unlawful user or addicted to marijuana, any depressant, stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance? And then it says, warning, the use or possession of marijuana remains unlawful under federal law regardless of whether it has been legalized or decriminalized for medicinal or recreational purposes in the state where you live. On October 6, yesterday, a Washington Post report stating that agents believe they have compiled enough evidence against Hunter to bring charges for allegedly providing a false answer on that ATF form. Put that, put that in the context of everything you now know pertaining to Hunter Biden. What the heck is truly going on and why, oh why, is this happening right now? Last night, Jesse Waters Fox News. He waded into the middle of it. We start tonight with a Fox News alert. Federal agents believe they have enough evidence to charge the son of the president, Hunter Biden. Multiple federal agents who we believe are FBI and IRS agents are telling The Washington Post the president's son may soon be indicted over tax crimes and firearms crimes. We don't believe the indictment will come before the midterms because of a rule against political charges affecting elections. But The U.S. attorney in Delaware, David Weiss, a Trump appointee, has the case now. And the grand jury is over, we're told. This prosecutor will probably have to get sign-off from Merrick Garland before charging the president's son. And Merrick Garland will face incredible pressure to manage this case fairly. Now, a trusted source tells Primetime that Hunter Biden was actually offered a pretty good plea deal. A couple million dollars in fines and no prison. But Hunter told him to take a hike, and dared him to go to trial in Delaware, where he knows he'd get home cooking. This was a big mistake by Hunter Biden. 
and has made rank-and-file agents incredibly mad. And now this plea deal they're offering just got a lot more serious. The new deal is $15 million in fines and having to plead guilty to multiple felony charges. This is a game of chicken that Hunter thinks he can win because his father has the power of the pardon. But it may not be that simple. A source tells Primetime that an astounding amount of whistleblowers are coming forward within the FBI and other agencies, and they're willing to share what they know about the case and how it's been handled. Not only that, we're told that individuals who've done business with the Biden family will be going public soon, and it's about to get ugly. It's becoming very difficult for Biden and their protectors to keep a lid on this because of how high this goes up. This is not a story about Hunter Biden. This involves the entire Biden family and, most importantly, the president of the United States. And it involves America's number one enemy, China, a communist country dead set on destroying the United States that's been funneling millions and millions of dollars to the Biden family for years. The media has confirmed that. Bank records confirm it. Witnesses confirm it. But Joe Biden is the only one who says this isn't true. And in fact, is talking about me taking money. I have not taken a single penny from any country whatsoever, ever. Number one. The president of the United States is a liar. Not only did Joe Biden know about his son and his brother doing major energy deals with Chinese communists that threatened America's position in the world, but he was the front man of the whole operation. He's Biden. Right now, the former business partner, Tony Bobulinski, explained it on Tucker. I met with Joe multiple times. Yes. And now, subsequent to the election, he's now the sitting president of the United States. But there are hundreds of data points that Joe Biden was acting in, uh, in a capitalistic term, I would say the chairman. He's a figurehead. He shows up at meetings, shakes hands, advises, you know, has faith in his team. Effectively, that was Joe Biden's role in the Biden family business ventures and uh, around the world. And Joe Biden claimed that he never knew anything about his son's business deals. How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. Why would you lie about something like that when there's so much proof out there? Photos of Biden meeting with over a dozen of his son's business partners. Pictures of Joe Biden meeting with these guys at restaurants, shaking hands with Hunter's Chinese investors in the middle of a Beijing hotel. There's records of Hunter's Chinese business partners visiting the White House while Joe was VP. Biden went golfing with Hunter's Ukrainian partners. I mean, I could show you more pictures, but we don't have time. Joe Biden shared an office with a Chinese communist in Georgetown. Of course, Joe Biden knew what his son was up to. Here's a voicemail from Joe telling Hunter he was in the clear after a Times article dropped on his shady business ties. Hey, Palace Dad, it's 8.15 um, on uh, Wednesday night. If you get a chance, give me a call. Nothing urgent. I just want to talk to you. I thought the article, at least the thing on online, that's going to be printed tomorrow in the Times, was good. I think it's clear. And more importantly, there's evidence of money going directly to Joe Biden. In that email, there's a statement where they go through the equity. Jim Biden's referenced as 
you know, 10% doesn't say Biden, it says Jim. And then it has 10% for the big guy held by H. I 1,000% sit here and know that the big guy is referencing Joe Biden. Um, it's, that's crystal clear to me because I lived it. I met with the former vice president in person multiple times. The Chinese even had a spy working for Hunter Biden. It was his fang fang. Jackie Bao, Chinese intelligence, was employed by the Biden family. She worked for Hunter and she slept with him. This Chinese spy was even doing opposition research for Joe's presidential campaign, digging up dirt on Trump and encouraging Hunter to convince his father to run for president. She also handed the Bidens a map of U.S. natural gas deposits that the Chinese were eyeing. It doesn't get more dangerous than this. The Chinese were bribing the Biden family with diamonds. Joe Biden's son was working with a Chinese spy who was indicted for bribery. Hunter was his lawyer, and Beijing wired Hunter a million bucks to defend their spy. The Biden family is the American face of China's Belt and Road Initiative, our enemy's imperial plan to spread Chinese commercial interests across the globe and supplant America as the world's sole superpower. The Biden family has been groomed by the Chinese. Hunter was an easy mark because of his reckless addiction, and Joe Biden was the perfect puppet because of his greed and ego. It was good business for a while, and Joe Biden was the useful idiot to knock Trump out of the White House. But now Joe Biden's becoming useless. He's driven the economy into a recession, triggered a crime wave, opened our borders, tanked the stock market and is facing a massive wipeout in the midterms. We know Washington is already starting to turn their backs on him. But here's where things get interesting. When Republicans take the House and control the committees, they're going to subpoena Biden family business associates to testify under oath on live TV. They're going to bring in whistleblowers to testify about how these crimes have been covered up on live TV. They're going to subpoena records from the Treasury Department that show 150 suspicious wire transfers from overseas plunk in the Biden family's bank accounts. There is no way that the Bidens can survive that type of scrutiny. And this might be exactly what the Democratic Party's brass has been looking for, a way to show Joe the door so that he doesn't run for re-election. It's the perfect excuse. Joe Biden pardons his son, and for the good of the country and the Democratic Party, he announces he won't seek re-election. Because a fair examination of the evidence, and the evidence is huge, may show that Joe Biden committed treasonous acts for money. He may have sold us out to the communist Chinese for cash. And as men and women serve our country overseas and risk everything to protect the security of this great nation, we owe it to them to get to the truth. So what you just heard was Jesse Waters, and he painted both sides of the Hunter wrongdoing. There's the FARA Act. He violated that when he forged on that application with the BATF and claimed that he was not addicted to drugs. He, he made it very clear at the same time that he was. He was a crack smoker. He said he was so out of it one time, he crawled all around the room in the carpet looking for anything he could smoke. Sounds like a crack addict to me. He lied on that application. Okay, he did that, and he's got the tax thing. There's no mention, no mention by anybody that's talking about a potential indictment or two or three against Hunter about anything to do 
with the second half of what Jesse shared with us, which is Hunter slash Jim slash Joe's involvement with Russia, Ukraine, and China. So I told you I'd tell you what I think is really going to happen. Here's the way politics, Democrat politics has always worked. When there's something bad that happens, somebody's got to take the fall. Somebody's got to take one for the gipper. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So Hunter's out there and all that stuff that he did, the tax stuff and lying on the license to get that gun, that's all Hunter. That has nothing to do with the big guy. So I think what is going on, they are staging the timing of this entire thing to make it where it works for Joe and Democrats politically. And in that vein, everything, timing is everything. And Hunter's going to be the fall guy. So what's the purpose in doing that? Well, I think it's twofold. I think there are two things on the backside. Number one is to deflect from the China involvement, the Russia involvement, the Ukraine involvement for Joe and even Hunter by concentrating on what happened and what is happening in the Delaware federal courts. They're going to prosecute Hunter. And I project that what's going to happen, he'll be indicted, he'll be charged with some significant things, all financial, all white-collar stuff, nothing to do with being a spy or working with spies or collecting money illegally with his and for his father, who was then the sitting vice president. That's never going to come up in this scenario. And most leaders in the Republican Party think it will. But who controls the media? Who controls the legacy media? (laughs) The Democrat Party. They actually, they don't even make bones about it anymore. They're the the, um, political news arm of the Democrat Party or the legacy media, like Nicole Wallace you just heard with Stacey Abrams a little bit ago. They're not going to go down that road. The CEFC corporate multi-billion dollar company that was paying Hunter millions of dollars for what? Nobody knows. But 10% of it, according to emails that came off of Hunter Biden's laptop, 10% of all the money that comes in goes to the big guy. They're crazy angry and upset that Hunter has opened the door to let this all happen, make it all happen. But what's going to happen? How's it going to end up? I think Hunter will be indicted. I think he will. I think he'll plead. I don't think there'll be a trial. He'll plead to something less than the 10 years in jail. I don't think he'll see jail. And I think he'll get a massive fine. And he's going to be the sacrificial lamb for Joe Biden. But there's one more plank in this. I told you I had a second one. Donald Trump figures into this whole concept. How so, Dan? They're going to go after Hunter Biden to use for their political perspective and their plans. And their plans are, still are, have been, and will continue to be, stop Donald Trump from ever getting in the White House. 
and they are going to use this thing with Hunter to show that they're about the law, enforcing the rule of law, holding everybody accountable for wrongdoing. Look, the president's son, they even, he's in jail. uh, DOJ went after him. And that in some way is going to justify them going after Donald Trump. And this Mar-a-Lago raid, it figures heavily into that. Don't question the timing of anything that happens in a Democrat-controlled administration. It's always for a specific purpose. So we've got three moving parts in the Hunter Biden situation. One is Hunter himself. That's his tax problem. And that, of course, is the FARA, not registering as an agent of a foreign government. I think those are slaps on the wrist. The second is the money, the big money. And the third is keeping Joe out of the focus, the spotlight. And at the end of the day, having freedom to go after and get Donald Trump to keep him from running in 2024. Those are Danisms. I'm sorry, but I've watched this. I've watched it grow, and I never could understand why it didn't happen. The timing didn't make it start happening way back, gosh, three years ago. But now I understand why. Democrats use everything they can for political position, and this will lop off a problem that they have. That would be Hunter Biden but they think it will protect Joe Biden and then even possibly be able to use Joe in 2024. They don't really want to, don't think he can do it, but they don't have anybody else right now that can do it. So they got to keep all their options open. Meantime, Americans are looking on and we're seeing how evil our government is. There's no other way to couch it. We have an evil government and the Department of Justice. Oh my gosh, they're gone. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy. Live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. 
New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. One eight six six three seven truth That's the number to call toll-free. Join the show. one 378 7884 One of the biggest stories in my in my mind, most important things, is the 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 way Congress is going to look after the midterms. And something's come up that uh, I can't quite get my brain around on how it's going to impact governing in Congress, but it's a big deal. You know who Ben Sass is? Senator Ben Sass. He's a Republican, a never-Trumper. He is probably somewhere, he probably would be called a moderate Republican, but he's not a Trump guy. He voted to impeach Donald Trump when all that was going on. Well, it looks like he's going to resign the Senate seat. Why? He's going to accept a new job as president of the University of Florida. The university announced yesterday that SAS is the lone finalist being considered by its presidential search committee. So what is this going to do? Let's just get right to the chase. He's going to take it. He's been president of a university before, and he obviously kind of likes it. He said this, having taught at the University of Texas, served as a college president, Ben's experiences are also deep and broad from healthcare and technology to history and philosophy. So what is that going to do? Well, the book's still out on that. Sass was first elected in 2014, re-elected in 2020. That means his current Senate term is not up till 2026. So the governor of Nebraska is the one that's going to have to pull the trigger on replacing him if Sass leaves. Governor Pete Ricketts is a Republican. He's going to appoint Sass's replacement who is going to serve until the 2024 special election is held for that seat. Kind of like the one that Warnock got. He got a two-year deal when he was elected in uh, 2020 over there in Georgia. So this is going to be interesting to see, especially with the balance of power that we're all witnessing, the back and forth, the up and down, and who's going to have control and all those kind of things. I've never seen so many moving parts before looking at our political process. May have been there, but I just never saw them. And of course, when we get close to election times, and we're just a little bit over a month away from the midterms, all kinds of bits of information start coming out. I'll give you an example. It just blew my mind. Wisconsin's Democrat Governor Tony Evers, the Department of Public Instruction there, told white people to wear wristbands as a reminder of their privilege. A document promoted by the Department of Public Instruction. Now this again is up there in the Midwest, upper Midwest, Wisconsin. 
It's suggested that white people wear a white wristband as a reminder about your privilege. Tony Evers, the governor, who is up for re-election, was the superintendent of the Department of Public Instruction for 10 years, from 2009 to 2019. During that time, the department worked alongside Volunteers in Service to America, VISTA. Evers spoke highly of VISTA, remarking that Wisconsin was lucky to have their help their VISTA volunteers, and that their work was very important. So one document that was that is titled, still there, Addressing Racial Privilege, a Mental Model for White Anti-Racist, was distributed at a joint DPI VISTA training in 2013 while Evers was the superintendent. He wasn't the governor yet. The document urged people to engage in a number of anti-white racial shaming exercises, including wearing wristbands as a reminder about your privilege and as a personal commitment to explain why you wear that wristband. So what you just heard, what you just saw, has been for some time, it's been very quietly implemented and being operating for probably more years than we can even imagine, behind the scenes. You can forget about the push for unity by the Democrat Party. It's gone. We'll never see it. We will never, we will never see the Democrat Party make any effort whatsoever, honest effort, to pull down the walls between leftist, hardcore leftists, and conservative Americans. Their fundamental premise is, if you're a conservative, you're evil. And you can't be negotiated with. There's no possible reconciliation. There's no way to reach agreement. And they're going to dismiss you and just demean you until you're done and do everything in their power to get rid of you. Whatever happened to the great uniter? The few times that Joe would get out and talk to people in public, he said, I don't know how many meetings that he did. But in every one of them, he said, I don't want to be the president of the Democrat Party. I want to be the president of every American. I want to unite the nation. I want us to come together for common causes. And I'm paraphrasing it. And there's no need to quote him because none of it he's done is truthfully. He is the great divider. And he is the face of the Democrat Party. They're not going to make any effort to find consensus from this day forward to do anything together with the political opposition. They've declared war on conservatives. They have. And nobody can truthfully negate that. So Joe Biden, he's up doing speeches now, pontificating as He's going around the nation and trying to help out some of the Democrats that will still have him come to a, a campaign rally. Yesterday, he took to social media to pledge that he is not pushing, he's not going to stop pushing until he gets a ban on assault rifles. He's been talking about that ban on assault rifles throughout his presidency. He said this, I signed the bipartisan Safer Communities Act into law, the first major gun safety legislation in nearly 30 years. I'm not going to stop until I get an assault weapons ban passed. 
So one of his most recent mentions of his desire for that kind of ban came back in August when he suggested that assault weapons will be banned if Democrats pick up two more Senate seats in November. And the Washington Post quoted him saying, I want to be crystal clear about what's on the ballot this year. Your right to choose is on the ballot this year. The Social Security you paid for from the time you had a job is on the ballot. The safety of our kids from gun violence is on the ballot. And he later added that if we elect two more senators, we keep the House, we're going to get a lot of unfinished business done. That's when he pointed out his ban on assault weapons. Look, we're not going to spend any time on this. I own an AR-15. I have some other automatic guns. They're not automatic. The correct lingo to label them is semi-automatic. And let me tell you the difference if you don't know. A fully automatic gun, if you've got a clip in your gun that holds 20 shells, you put that clip in the gun and put one in the chamber, when you squeeze the trigger and hold the trigger, it's going to shoot consecutively one after another. Sounds like a machine gun when they do that. That's a fully automatic weapon. My AR-15 and my other automatic guns, none of them are automatic weapons that could be classified in Joe's terminology as a weapon of mass destruction. (laughs) When you squeeze a trigger, it shoots one bullet. You have to let the trigger go and pull the trigger again to get a second one. There is a massive difference between the two. Now, when they first started, they being the Democrats, first started talking about this, and they used that term automatics, fully automatic, assault weapons. That wasn't by accident. That wasn't because somebody didn't know the difference. They focus group everything they do. Probably every Democrat in the nation, with the exception of one, Joe Biden, They're on script almost 90 to 95% of the time when they give a speech. And it's all coordinated. It's all written in advance. They can't do it for Joe. He's a loose cannon. He doesn't even know what room he's in. (laughs) I don't know why this popped into my head. I'll tell you a story. Talking about Joe and his obvious cognitive decline. I've known Terry Bradshaw for a long time. He's from the same town here. And um, I've met him several times. Years ago, I was uh, trying to do the short version of this. I was heading up a, uh, a big thing in the city, a whole weekend of celebrations. And it included a lot of things, a golf tournament. Uh, included, we had a double-A baseball team of the San Francisco 49ers here. It was a, um, a weekend of baseball and family putting it was really a neat thing and it was the terry bradshaw i forget it was the terry bradshaw whatever whatever but he was the big draw and so playing in the golf tournament he was on my team we won the tournament incidentally because we had another couple of guys and so i was nervous playing with terry and this is not radio so i can say this (laughs) Uh, on about the third green or something like that, I was holding a flag while everybody was putting. And he walked over to me and said, hey, Dan, 
you know what it feels like when you need to pee really, really bad? And I said, yeah, man, I do. And he said, look, would you feel of me and see if I need to pee really, really bad? <laughs> he was joking. Joe Biden is not joking. Joe has no idea what an assault weapon really is. Assault weapon is a fully automatic weapon, and they look like, similar to, an semi-automatic AR-15. They're M4s in the military. It's the same gun, and it is fully automatic, and it can be owned and operated only by members of the military and law enforcement. There's a, there's a, a small number of private citizens that get licensed to own one, but it is an arduous process, and it takes a year, sometimes two years, to even get the ability to be permitted to own an assault weapon, an M4 or some other version. And, of course, you got to go through an exhaustive background investigation. But, see, things like that don't matter to the anti-Second Amendment folks. They want every gun gone. Every gun. And to be quite honest with you, you can kill as many people with an AR-15 as you can with an M4. It just depends on how accurate you are when you fire the gun. Everything, everything without exception, this president is doing. Every single thing, it's about a political perspective and to get something to give Democrats a leg up on conservatives. Formerly, many years ago, the way you did that was you get in a public place and you debate. You talk about the differences between you and your opponent. You talk to the people that are going to be voting in elections and you convince them, giving them facts that they need to vote for you instead of the other person. Those days are long gone. I mean, we've got a situation in the midterms where a bunch of Democrat candidates, I mean, dozens of them, refuse to even debate their opponents. You know why? Because they know they would be toast because they're part of the Biden administration and they share in responsibility for all the crud we're living through. Seriously, that's exactly what's going on in the nation now. And they can't allow the American people to concentrate on the reasons for our horrible inflation our rampant, violent crime that has just gone to epic heights around the nation in the last few years. They can't let Americans think about the price of gas at a pump. I heard a story last week. A friend of mine was at a um, one of the convenience stores that sells gas, and he was in checking out. He stopped to get a soft drink. Guy in front of him came in and bought one gallon of gas. Gas was right at $5 a gallon then. And he bought one gallon of gas because that's all the money he had. And he said, he was talking to the clerk, he said, I'll have enough gas to get to work and get home today. That's because of a Democrat president and what he arbitrarily has done. They can't afford to talk about any of that. And you know what? They honestly think because they don't talk about it. That means that nobody knows what's going on. And so they'll be okay. They don't have to worry about it and just keep trucking. It's like if you don't talk about it, you don't see it, 
You don't put it in front of anybody. It's not there. So it's not important. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. And so... This gun thing, it always comes up, Second Amendment stuff. Abortion comes up. You heard that long segment with Stacey Abrams. She was talking about, you know, women's rights to control their health care. Everybody that has got any half a brain will understand abortion's not about health care. It's not at all. That's, a, that's another story. But it's, it's election time. And when it's time to go out and get votes... Everybody's got to find a way and a thing that they can grab a hold and throw it in their quiver with their other arrows. If they're running for office, hey, 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 we got to have a leg up when we talk to somebody. So here's what I'm about. All the hot issues, inflation, 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 crime, foreign policy, Joe Biden, the Biden family syndicate, all of those things up there. And of course, the Second Amendment. There's even more going on about it now. Yesterday, District Judge Glenn Sudabi issued a temporary restraining order against part of New York's brand new gun controls that includes the requirement that concealed carry permit applicants have their social media scoured. That's like Big Brother looking down. I mean, Zuckerberg does that to us right now. What's new about that? Well, it's a First Amendment and a Second Amendment thing. His decision centered on the Concealed Carry Improvement Act, which New York Democrats passed and Governor Kathy Hochul signed in response to the Supreme Court and their rendering on New York State something-something versus Bruin ruling this year. The Associated Press said that the CCIA, which is this new law, replaced proper cause 
with the requirement that concealed permit applicants show that they possess, quote, the essential character, temperament, and judgment necessary to be entrusted with a weapon and to use it only in a manner that does not endanger oneself and others. Well, everybody that owns a gun needs to be in that class. But here's the thing. The law doesn't say who makes that determination. That's why they want, and in the law it demanded that somebody that wants a concealed carry permit got to let the government scour their social media posts. <laughs> if that was, was going to stand, there wouldn't be any guns owned by anybody in the state of New York but Democrats. I just don't see why and how they think this is going to happen, but they keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And so on the other gun thing, you remember Congress authorized that $80 billion this year to beef up the IRS enforcement and staffing. When that happened, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy invoked the language of war to warn the Democrats' new army of 87,000 IRS agents will be coming for you. Now, put that in the context of what we were told about the money that was going to beef up the IRS. We're going to go after, in the audit division, we're going after these big, super wealthy people and corporations that aren't paying their fair share in taxes. And we need these agents to go get these billionaires. So the number is, we need 87,000? How many billionaires are there in the United States? There aren't 87,000. I checked. There are 600. So the IRS now has 87,000 new agents. What are they going to (laughs) do? Who do you think they're going to go after? A video quickly went viral, racking up millions of views, purporting to show a bunch of clumsy bureaucrats receiving firearms training, prompting alarm that the IRS would be engaged in some military-style raids of ordinary taxpayers. The GOP claims were widely attacked as exaggerations. Since the video, though from the IRS, didn't show official agent training, but the criticism has shed light on a trend, a growing trend, the rapid arming of the federal government. Now listen to this. A report issued last year by a watchdog group, Open the Books, found that more than 200,000 federal bureaucrats now, now this is last year, have been granted the authority to carry guns and make arrests. 200,000. That's more than the 186,000 Americans who serve in the Marine Corps. 103 executive agencies outside of the Department of Defense spent $2.7 billion on guns, ammo, military-style equipment between fiscal year 06 and 2019. Nearly $1,944,000,000 was spent between fiscal year 2015 and 2019 alone. So what's this all about? Well, the watchdog reports that the excuse me, Department of Health and Human Services has 1,300 guns, including one shotgun, five submachine guns, 
and 189 automatic firearms. NASA has its own fully outfitted SWAT team with all of the weaponry that goes along with that, including armored vehicles, submachine guns, breaching shotguns. The EPA has purchased drones, GPS trackers, radar equipment, night vision goggles. That's in addition to stockpiling a bunch of firearms. A 2018 GAO official report noted that the IRS had 4,500 guns and 5 million rounds of ammunition in inventory at the end of 2017. That's five years ago. Before the enforcement funding boost this year. Yet more than 100 executive agencies have armed investigators and there doesn't appear to be any independent authority actively monitoring or tracking the use of force across the federal government. If that doesn't scare you to death, you need to check to see if you're still alive. The reason for the Second Amendment in the first place, you got to remember, put in context what the first through the Tenth Amendments were for, why they ever ended up in the U.S. Constitution. It was this. Our forefathers, the ones that wrote it, put it all together. They did all that painstaking work over, I don't know, five, six, seven years and came up with one they could agree on. It didn't have any amendments in it. The first one didn't. And there it was, bam. And then in the mix of this, there were consternations about actually starting a federal government. It was supposed to be and was established as each state was its own separate entity and there wasn't going to be a government across borders. Well, our forefathers decided they needed to do that, and they did. They put it in there, 13 states to get it started, but then they began to look at the federal government that even before it officially went into play, the people in it started grabbing power from their fellow Americans. And it concerned our forefathers when they began to look at what was happening so quickly. And they got worried. There were some of them that really worried. Ben Franklin was one of them that was really worried about having a federal government in the first place. But as they saw that early in the nation's life, central government getting so powerful, they said, wait a minute, we've got to make sure these people in our federal government in Washington They know what they can do, but even more so, they know what they can't do. And so those 10 amendments enshrined for our government all of the things that the government has no say-so in. They belong to the people. Freedom to assembly. Freedom to speech. Freedom to write whatever you want to. The right to own and bear arms. And it goes on and on and on. Guarantee of a speedy trial. Yeah, like those people that are in the jail in Washington, D.C. You heard Steve Baker on here Monday talking about the trial that's going on. One of them that was charged with some kind of menial wrongdoing has been in jail in D.C. for 18 months. No speedy trial. He's on trial there now with four other of the Oath Keepers. Anyway, it's about protecting the rights of the American people. So why is our government getting all these guns? What are they doing? When asked about the need for that, agency officials 
typically speak only in general terms about security things. Agencies contacted from HHS to EPA declined to provide or said they didn't have comprehensive statistics on how often their firearms are used or any details on how they conduct any type of armed operation. I would be amazed if that data exists in any way. That's Trevor Burris talking, who's a research fellow in constitutional and criminal law at the Libertarian Cato Institute. Over the years of working on this, it's quite shocking how much they try to not have their stuff tracked on any level. Does that ring a bell? Government surreptitiously, in the shadows, spending billions of taxpayer dollars on things that they don't want us to know they're spending it on. And then we find out they're arming themselves. Why 87,000 new IRS agents? And why do all these agencies that don't do any police work, they have no authority to do any of it. Constitutionally, that belongs exclusively to the Department of Justice. Our arrest doesn't fall under the purview of the DOJ. Abigail Blanco, who's an economics professor at the University of Tampa and the co-author of a book, Tyranny Comes Home, The Domestic Fate of U.S. Militarism. She said the militarization of the federal government appears to track closely with the increased militarization of local cops. She talks about some data in her book from criminologist Peter Kraska. He found that about 20% of small-town cops department have a SWAT-style team in the mid-80s, deployed about 3,000 times every year. So after the creation of a federal program back in 97 to arm local cops with surplus military equipment, about 90% of small-town cops had SWAT teams by the early 2000s, and those units were being deployed 45,000 times a year. Current estimates suggest that SWAT teams are deployed as many as 80,000 times a year. I'm just pointing these things out, folks. I want you to know and be aware of some of the things that are going on that are purposely being hid from us. They've hidden it. They don't want us to know about it, and it's obvious why they don't. The American people, if if the American people in large knew what these numbers are and paid any attention to it, they would just simply do what I'm doing. Ask the question, why? Why do we have that? What do you think's on the other side of the midterm elections coming up? Let's just be hypothetical for a few minutes. Republicans win control of the House. And they get a, let's just say, a one-seat majority in the Senate. you got to remember, you still got a Democrat in the White House. So it's going to be an uphill battle to get anything passed and then signed into law. And, of course, it takes so long to override a president's veto. It's going to be a tough job. Talking to Congressman Mike Johnson a couple of weeks ago, offline, and we were talking about the difference between winning the House, winning control, winning the majority status. In fact, he was when he was elected, I forget what year it was, but that was the year when the Republicans won back control of the House. And I said, what's the difference now? And he said, back then, 
leadership in the Republican Party, they didn't think they were gonna, we were going to win, so they didn't have any plans put in place. And so I ask him, what about now? Well, Mike's, he, Congressman Johnson, he is, uh, he's in leadership in the House on several committees, several important committees. And so he's got an inside look at some things that the rest of us don't. And he said the explicit plans are piled high on Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's desk. They've been vetted. They've been discussed. They've been unofficially in Republican committees. And day one, they're going to launch. And uh, the commitment to America that we've talked about here was one of them. There are other things out there. But my, my concern is that they don't do anything, that they get into politics, they get back into politics. And I'm sorry. Politics is not the answer for what ails our nation. There are no real solutions to our inflation, to our massive crime ramp up, our illegal immigration, The answer is to get the people involved and have leaders that are leaders. Now, what am I talking about? You, do you realize that every day, every single day, 365,000, 300, 365 days a year, the leaders in our nation right now today are breaking federal laws in the thousands. And what are you talking about, Dan? I'm talking about just the open borders, every person that steps foot on American soil coming in from any border or any body of water, the second they step foot here, if they're not coming with in hand a written authorization for them to be here, that's a, that's a crime. That's a federal crime. And the fact that this president and those in his department of uh, DHS, Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, they're all involved in breaking federal laws. So I talked to Mike Johnson about several things. I, I, I asked him, when he comes on the show, and he comes on here pretty regularly, once or twice a month, uh, and he's due back. I thought he was going to be available this week, probably early next week. But when he comes on here, there are certain things that uh, he can talk to us about live on the air. There are things that are pending but aren't rolled out completely yet that he can't talk about on the air. In fact, every time we talk, he makes very clear what's on the record and what's not because my commitment is if it's not on the record, I'm not going to put you out there. I'll wait. But he wants me to know some things that are in the works, and I really appreciate that. It makes me feel better. I will say this. There are a bunch of things serious things that this majority, if it's Republican in the House of Representatives and they take over, I think it's January 3rd, it's either 3rd or 6th when they take over, they're going to hit the ground running on day one. And this may be part of it. Well, don't let the door hit you where the Lord split you. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas may have to kiss his sweet job goodbye after November. Several top Republicans now threatening to impeach him over, quote, 
gross dereliction of duty at the southern border. In a scathing letter, Senators Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham say they have the grounds to take action if Mayorkas doesn't get on the problem. The senators say there have been 3.5 million arrests and 900,000 gotaways since Mayorkas took office 19 months ago. Now, listen, I think Mayorkas is a dirtbag. He's a bum. He's doing a horrible job. But should the GOP focus on policy instead of political posturing? Here with me tonight to discuss South Carolina Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Welcome back, Congresswoman. Thank you so much. So obviously Mayorkas is doing a bad job. Obviously there are massive problems at the southern border. The numbers don't lie even if the administration wants to. But even if you get him out of the job, you still have a structural failure and systems that need to be reformed. So shouldn't Kevin McCarthy be working on legislation instead? Well, I don't know why the two why the two are mutually exclusive. I think you can, you know, Congress has the right and the ability uh, and the power to impeach Secretary Mayorkas, but at the same time, we should be focusing on policies that'll improve conditions at the southern border. And as you rightly point out, we've had over 4 million people illegally cross our southern border over the last year and a half or so, or since Biden was sworn into office. And so one of the things that I'm excited about Republicans working on is supply chain policy. Supply chain policy that would give jobs and promote jobs in, to the south of the United States and Mexico, Central and South America take, you know, incentivize companies to get out of China and manufacture mm -hmm. and go to the south of our border. Because when countries can prosper, when there's greater trade uh, and their jobs and the economy are improved by that trade and manufacturing south of our border uh, through the supply chain process, then we're going to have fewer illegal immigrants. And so that's one of the ways that Republicans can address via policy the immigration issue we have at the southern border today. Well, the problem that or at we least have... we're in the majority yeah, next year. The, the problem that we have, though, is the trade that's propping up the countries south of us is the illegal drug trade. Because demand in this country, it hasn't changed at all. So, you know, if, if I'm a major corporation, if I'm the Gap, you know, sure, it might be nice to open a factory with cheaper labor and a place like Honduras, but I worry that my employees, if, if I try and get people to move there, they're going to be unsafe because you've got narco-terrorists who are running these various countries. So how do you address that? Today, the United States is funding the very cartels you're talking about. It's a $64 billion industry, $30 billion of that dedicated to drug trafficking, mm -hmm. $34 billion more than the drug trafficking. The cartels are making more money on human trafficking at our southern border. So that has to stop. But if we can address the supply chain and get manufacturers to South America and Central America, that is at least addresses part of the problem. And many of the people that are coming here, they just want to work and they want to go back home. They want to work and they want to send money back to their families. And when there is greater peace and prosperity because of more prosperous economies to the south of our border, then there's going to be less illegal trafficking of drugs and and people and sex trafficking. And I have to tell you, about two weeks ago, in the state of South Carolina on one of our interstates, there was enough fentanyl that was discovered on the side of the road on the interstate by our local law enforcement to kill one million people. This is an issue not just in the state of South Carolina, but every state across the country yeah. is now a border state. And it's got to be it's got to be addressed one way or the other. But incentivizing manufacturing to at least go south and out of China mm -hmm. is one step in the right direction. All right. Now, speaking of the drug war, Congresswoman, while I've got you here, what do you think about President Biden today pardoning thousands of federal marijuana offenders? 
Well, I, I want to give credit where credit is due. I don't always agree with the Biden administration. I've been very vocal about that. Mm -hmm. But this is a step in the right direction. The president wants to pardon people for very simple possession of nonviolent uh, cannabis offenders at the federal level. And he wants to encourage our governors across the country to do the same. And I think that's a great first step. I have a bill that we've talked about, Kennedy, yes. called the States Reform Act. And that is one piece of the puzzle to addressing cannabis in this country, but there's more to do. This is a multi-billion dollar industry that needs regulation, that needs to be uh, have some guardrails to ensure that we're not selling marijuana or cannabis to kids and our youth, uh, and to ensure that also those that need it for medical reasons, like our veterans that have PTSD when they come home from war, can get medical care that isn't going to get them addic addicted to uh, very dangerous opioids, and we have yes. an opioid crisis in our country. And so uh, I applaud the president. I'm going to give credit where credit is due and agree with him on this position today. Yeah, and I, I hope they take up your legislation because of the bills uh, that mm. have been presented in Congress, yours is the superior one. Congresswoman Mace, thank you very much for being here. Just so you know, this um, cannabis thing, this pardoning offenders, federal offenders of marijuana possession it's an it's a political thing it's a midterm election thing joe biden is trying to buy votes but let me tell you what the reality is uh the report was given yesterday when he announced that he was going to do it that it was going to release 6600 people that are in federal prison now for simple possession of marijuana it's not true you know how many will be released not one. There's not one person in federal prison today that's in federal prison for possession of marijuana and nothing else. That's the rub. Most drug crimes are not simple possession. It's all the other stuff that goes along with it. All of the other charges that are added up. Distribution, uh, other particular crimes, having possession of weapons, all kinds of things. Not one person will be released from jail. And so when that was pointed out late yesterday to the president, he got back out on his horse and he said, well, what we're trying to do is make it so that people that have been charged with federal possession of marijuana, and it's on their record and it keeps them from getting a job or a security clearance or whatever, those are all going to be expunged now. So we're going to make it easier for Americans that used marijuana when it was illegal. And you know what? Marijuana is not a bad thing. And because they used it, that law was on the books. And, you know, it's a crazy law and all that kind of stuff. That's the point, the perspective that the left take all the time. In fact, if you remember correctly, during the Obama administration, Barack Obama told his attorney general to stop prosecuting and charging people with federal offenses for simple possession of marijuana. And that created a conundrum in every state because every state at that particular time had laws, state laws, that made it a crime to possess marijuana. So here's the President of the United States telling his Attorney General to stop prosecuting possession of marijuana instances, but the states still have to do it because it's a law there. Oh, and by the way, it still is a law in the United States.
well, man, that's a stupid law. You say, okay, yeah, there are laws out there that are stupid. There are stupid laws in my opinion. But you know what? As long as there are laws, we have to abide by them. And our government should make sure that we abide by every law. And when we don't, we are held accountable for what we did wrong. Accountable according to the law. Now this situation that our president has and the relationship and the ones that we know about and the ones that we're finding out about with leaders in China, very very puzzling to me. And it really makes me uncomfortable. There are a lot of ties, a lot of relationships between Beijing and Washington, D.C. that we Americans don't know about. It came to light yesterday, a new member of Biden's State Department previously worked in our government to build strong ties between Americans and the Chinese Communist Party. Her name is Nina Hatchigan. She is currently serving in the newly created State Department position of Special Representative for Subnational Diplomacy. Hashigan will be tasked with developing the department's ties with cities in the U.S. and abroad, but she previously worked with a bunch of different groups to foster closer ties between the U.S. and China. Now, where'd she come from? She was Deputy Mayor of Los Angeles. While there, Hashigan worked with the president of the Chinese People's Association for Friendship with Foreign Countries, which is a Chinese Communist Party influence cutout. And she was working on developing exchange and cooperation between the U.S. and China. She also worked at the Liberal Center for American Progress. She was part of the U.S. delegation there at high-level dialogue organized by the China-U.S. Exchange Foundation, which is another CCP-backed group, which proposed an exchange of military personnel. That's interesting, isn't it? Hatchigan has consistently encouraged American leaders to go soft on China anytime and every time a controversy comes up. Back in 07, she wrote an op-ed urging Americans to embrace China even though China's growth will cause some Americans to lose their jobs or get paid less. She also spoke out against the boycott of the 2008 Beijing Olympics. That same year, she described China as a U.S. security partner. She also worked on Wan Ping, the head of the China Institutes of Contemporary International Relationships, which the CIA classifies today as an intelligent organ of the CCP. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence, DNI, warned in the summer of this year that the Chinese People's Association for Friendship with Foreign Countries exploits sister cities in other countries to get state and local leaders to embrace China. Why would we have a Chinese sympathizer? in the Biden administration. Why? Does it smell? Does it seem like there's something there that is just a little, it's a little off? That's the way I feel about it. I got to be honest with you. I don't trust Xi Jinping. 
I don't trust other leaders in China. And I believe they are the nations, our nations, the number one enemies. And if we don't look at them that way and hold them in anything and everything we do that interrelates with them, if we don't hold them with that perspective that they're our enemies, I think we're in deep trouble. I mean, they're taking over our world today anyway. They're buying our real estate, our farming, agricultural real estates, and they're in all of our businesses, and they're in all our universities, our research universities. That's just what I know about, and I'm sure I know there's a lot more. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram, proven to last. early early this morning I uh I watched that's a little loud isn't it there we go early early this morning I watched a um a group of people that were being asked this happens every election period news media people go out and they say what's the most important thing to you in this election and they come up with the answers and people just do a b c d one two three four here's number one the number one thing that people in, in this particular report said bothered them, the most important thing for them in this midterm election, is crime. Crime in the United States. It's, it, you just think, man, it, it can't get any worse than it, than it is today, and tomorrow it's absolutely worse, significantly worse. How bad is it? Now, the FBI gives us statistics on crime, but they kind of are, um, they wave around. What I mean is they don't seem to be very reliable, the numbers, and they don't give you a lot of data. Well, guess what was exposed yesterday? Nearly 40% of law enforcement agencies in the country do not submit any data, did not in 2021 at all to a brand new revised FBI crime statistics collection program. And what does that do? It leaves a massive gap in information sure to be exploited by politicians in midterm election campaigns already dominated by the fear of the public over this big rise in violent crime around the nation. Now this data gap includes the nation's two largest cities by population, New York City and L.A., 
as well as most agencies in five of the six most populous states, California, New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and Florida. This is nuts, folks. In 2021, the FBI retired its nearly century-old National Crime Data Collection Program, the summary reporting system used by the Uniform Crime Reporting Program. The FBI switched to a brand new system. It's called the National Incident-Based Reporting System, NIBRS. It gathers more specific information on each incident. So even though the FBI announced the transition years ago, and the government spent hundreds of millions of dollars to help local cops make the switch, about 7,000 of the nation's 18,000 law enforcement agencies did not successfully send crime data to the voluntary program last year. In other words, all these horrible stories we're hearing, all the atrocities, the law-breaking, the criminality, all kinds of stuff. And we know it's bad just because of what we see. It's way, 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 way worse than we think it is because the FBI is not giving us updated statistics, truthful numbers, and it's because they can't because all these big cities aren't sending it to them. That means lawlessness and criminality in the United States is worse than reported it being, and we know it's bad. How bad is it? Well, now we can honestly say it's way worse than we think it is because the FBI is not getting the data, so they're not reporting it. They're giving us numbers, but the numbers they give us are minus the big cities. Now, let me blow your, I'm just going to blow your mind. A dozen federal judges say that they are no longer hiring clerks that come from Yale Law School. Their reason is a slew of scandals that they say have undermined free speech and intellectual diversity. Now, what does that mean? Well, in addition to Fifth Circuit Judges James Ho, who announced on Thursday he would no longer hire clerks from the nation's top-ranked law school, 12 federal judges, both circuit and district court judges, told the Washington Free Beacon they are joining this boycott. Students should be mindful that they will face diminished opportunities if they go to Yale. That came from a prominent circuit court judge whose clerks have gone on to nab Supreme Court clerkships. I have no confidence that they're being taught anything. With one exception, the judges made clear this is a policy they are imposing on future, not current, Yale Law School students. A spokeswoman for the law school didn't respond answer a question about it. If this boycott catches on among other right-leaning judges, it could deal a serious blow to Yale Law School, which has maintained the number one spot in the U.S. News and World Report rankings since the publication began ranking law schools back in the 1980s. Clerkships, particularly on the federal bench, are coveted jobs in the legal profession. Many students choose Yale over other elite law schools because its graduates have historically had the best shot of clerking for prominent judges. And now, (laughs) you just heard it, folks. Now, 12, a dozen federal judges say, we don't want, (laughs) 
We don't want anybody from Yale again. Why? We can't trust them. We can't trust them. This is the world that we live in. Hey, guys, thanks for the week. Thanks for sharing it. Got a big weekend ahead? I hope you do. High school football, college football, family things. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday. Right back here at TNN Live. So long, everybody. There's a new sun rising.